So there's a reason why. This isn't God just saying, go do this crazy thing. There is a why. The Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are my friends Eric. Hi. And Karen. What? And Trace. <laughs> and Tracy. Good morning. Karen's paying attention, of course. Oh, I totally am. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Guys, can you believe we're in the last quarter of this year already? How? I know. I mean, we're recording on the first, this is, yeah, it is the first, the first Sunday of October, 2021. And I just, I got up this morning and I went, wait, what? What? I just, uh, it's just, it's amazing how quickly things go by. My, you know, my oldest son graduated last year and he's getting ready to start flight training school. My youngest son is in high school. Eric, your daughter's off to college and Karen, you're in a whole new state now. And Tracy, you're, you know, you're going through stuff and, and it's just, uh, and the year is, it's darn getting, getting darn close to being over. It's just, uh, it's just amazing how, how quickly things start to go by after a while. And I, I yeah, I just can't hardly believe that we're already towards the end of 2021. Should we just get it out of the way and say happy hallow giving mass and just like <laughs> cover the rest of the year? Because it's going to be a blink. You know it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I always, you know, you think as the year starts to close and you know there's going to be people as you get to the end of the year like, oh, I just can't wait for this year to be over. And hopefully next year is going to be so much better. And yeah, sorry, so folks, but but things have not been trending that way for quite a while. So. <laughs> I would uh, like to know, I thought when I was a kid, I thought that by the year 2000, surely my car would fly. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> when I had kids, I would tell them that I would be like, we're coming up on the year 2000. Surely my car will fly because that's that's just a thing. Right. Nope. <laughs> every year, every year at New Year's, I think of that. Well, now it's 2021. And my car still doesn't fly. Yeah. Back to the future. Two assured us that by 2015 we were going to have flying cars that ran off of garbage, and it doesn't it, with a Mister Fusion on there, and it hasn't happened yet. Very disappointing. <laughs> yes. See, that's what's baffling is thinking that Back to the Future is in the past now. <laughs> Hush your mouth. What's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're all yeah, getting old. We, yeah, but I mean, to as we as we covered i mean we're working on the book of hosea which is on one level very interesting for for some of the the uh, premise on which it is based but underlying it it's the same thing that we've been reading over and over and over and over again is god is talking about the future the future the future and these people have a very difficult time grasping that time passes yeah. that things will in fact happen they kind of have had this concept that no nothing will ever happen and then in the book of Hosea, I believe it is, we actually see, oh, yeah, that thing that's been talked about, that happened. And mm. time will flow into the future. And time really is an underlying, one of the more uh, um, less, I should say, one of the less obvious uh, themes of the book of Hosea. The most obvious theme is pretty shocking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get into Hosea. That is what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about Hosea chapters one through seven. And we begin right out. We actually get a timeline for when this book was written, because um, in our narrative where we've been reading, we're we're sitting right at the end of of Israel, the the the, the split off nation of Israel separate from Judah. But Hosea gives us a very specific timeline now that he is receiving this message uh, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So those are the, um, no, they're not the last, but they're the last of the kings of Judah while Israel is still a thing, the nation of Israel, because, was, go ahead. 
I was looking at some supplemental readings too, and they were actually saying that this is one of the darkest periods in in Judah and Israel's history at this mm-hmm. point where um, Hosea is, is talking about or living in. So I think that gives us a great one because we've kind of worked through these kings and we're seeing that, you know what, this is just a steady decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, call it the darkest period. I mean, absolutely. I think we can see that. I mean, we've been reading about how the Assyrians are 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 moving in to, to carry off Israel and we know that Babylon is coming. And of course, the Assyrians are a thorn in the side of, of Judah too. They just don't get the job done with Judah. But yeah, so so now we have some concept of when things are happening, when it's been so many bad kings of of Israel and a spattering, not very many good kings, even in Judah and a couple that are so-so, but it's all been more bad than good until we've seen this decline. And this message comes to Hosea, and this is a... a, a I think we'll understand it once we talk through it here. But when you first read it, you're thinking, really, God, this is what you want somebody to do? This is so strange. It just sounds strange to our ears that God would tell somebody to do this. And what what he does, he tells Hosea to go out and marry a prostitute. This is so counter to my ears from what you would normally think that God would tell somebody to do. But. This is exactly what he had, tells Hosea, go out and marry a prostitute or the way the new King James calls her is a, a harlot because and it's basically because Israel has committed harlotry by leaving God. So go out and find a woman who is not um, is not loyal to one man and make her your wife. So I was I was looking at this and I was reading, you know, above and beyond this. So there's a few places that I've seen and everybody just kind of chime in here if if you mm-hmm. saw this too. But they're saying they're not sure that Gomer actually was a harlot at this point. That when they when the story goes on, you know, moving ahead, yes, she did do that. But they're not sure if that's was how it initially started do you do you follow hmm. it's i kind of have question marks all over my notes but because it gives the the wife of of whoredom which hmm. is saying that there there's an inconsistency if that was her true character at that point but that's what she does eventually go to so i found myself always going back and forth between the story and israel because i think it was kind of tied in that it was kind of giving you, okay, is it, the, is it the story or is it exactly what's going on in Israel's history that, you know what, you are beloved of God, but you're moving away from it. So Gomer maybe had a history of this within her family, but that wasn't her present character, but she's moving towards that as the story goes. Hmm. Is that, well, did anybody that would... else see that or did anybody else read anything else that might say that? I didn't read anything like that, but I mean, that would fit the story that we've been seeing where Israel, you know, God had chosen Israel. And if we think of the church as, as a, as a woman, like we'll see in Bible prophecy at some point and seeing how Israel has moved away from God, I can see how that fits the narrative. I don't know that that's the way I read it. I'm curious how they came to that specifically. Uh, because it, I mean, though, at least the way I was taking it is more like she was either actively, actively uh, in the profession or or had been uh, and was taken on. So I don't know. I mean, that is an interesting way to look at it, though. Either way. Oh, go, yeah, go. either way. Um, so just real quick, I've got this parallel Bible. So I'm looking at the way. None of this is the original language, but the way the different translations and paraphrases choose to in, choose to translate the original language is sometimes interesting. And there, there's a clue that maybe the original word is versatile. Okay, so not not literally versatile, but is a versatile word. So yeah. the New King James says, "Go take yourself a wife of harlotry." That is the paid profession. That is an industry, right? Um, NIV says, go marry a promiscuous woman. That is not a profession. Right. 
right? So I don't know, but that implies that there's enough versatility in the original word that interpreters could take it either direction. It's a curious thought. It is, it is, I don't think it's super substantive to the gist of the book. Either way, she's doing it by choice, whether she's doing it to support herself or not, she's doing this by choice. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's the kernel of the story because the verse goes on say for the land see there's a reason why mm-hmm. this isn't god just saying go do this crazy thing there is a why it says go take yourself a wife and you know of fill in the blank of all the stuff we've read here depending on which one it is and have children and, and i'm in the esv it says of whoredom mm-hmm. for the land for and here's here's the kind of the you got to watch for that because it means because, because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. That's the point of this, is that both Hosea would understand what this means, because we get the idea that Hosea actually really cared for her. Um, mm-hmm. And later we see we see him going to call her back. It's, so the people, I mean, can you imagine in a, in a, in a community, in a, in a society, I've lived in this kind of society before, where things where news travels by uh, by mouth just as fast as the internet, basically. I could I didn't believe it when I first got there. They told me, they said, hey, be careful what you do and say, because it will pop up. I'm like, ah, there's no way that news can get around that fast. I was wrong, because yes, it can. <laughs> the people of Judah would talk about this, whether the prophet's wife left him, you know, after he married her, or he married her before she was doing this stuff. Either way, this is going to make headline news among the people. They're going to talk about it. And it is for the purpose of bringing people's attention to God to say, hey, yo, that's you. You know, it's like Nathan telling the story to David about the guy who was when killed his neighbor's uh, pet lamb. And and uh, Nathan says, yeah, that's you who did that when he took um, Bathsheba. And this is intended to be a real life lesson for the people of Israel. And I think it's kind of with that crossover because I had to go back and find it. And it basically, what this says here is it doesn't establish Gomer of, was of questionable character character when Hosea married her, since the phrase of whoredom may simply describe her ancestry, not necessarily her personal character. Hmm. But that too would have a parallel in in Israel's exactly. history because Israel wasn't anything like particularly special. It wasn't like God chose the best people on the planet. And God actually says that. He says, I didn't choose you because you were awesome. I chose you because I was going to make you awesome because of who I am, which has lessons for us. It's like that God doesn't choose to redeem us because we have amazing qualities. God chooses to redeem us because that's who he is. He's in the business of restoration. He's in the business of redeeming. Um, and I, yeah. I totally think that's the crossover between the story and Israel. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> he, he's to have children. And these are some of the most is- interesting names of children. Oh, that daughter, especially. I feel so bad for her. What did he name her? Not loved or something Not like that? Oh, dear. No, that Isn't was the son. There's three. So the, fir- the first son is named Jezreel. And Jezreel means either God will sow or uh-huh. what's probably more likely here, the use would be God scatters. Right. And they're told, he's told, name him this, because God is going to bring an end to Israel. So Israel, Israel is going to be scattered. And so that's what you're going to name this child. God scatters. Um, the daughter, her name is Lo Ruhamah, which means not pitied or no mercy. And it's because God will no longer have mercy on Israel. Basically, their time is up. They've had They've had a lot of time to get them, get their act together, and they just keep going the wrong way. So, so mercy is over for them. Uh, but it's but interesting. God says God will have mercy on Judah, but He won't save them by means of warfare. And so, as I mean, as we look forward down the timeline, we'll see that Judah does survive and does come out of this 
this all fairly well eventually. Not that they're going to come out unscathed, but they will survive. Then the son, his name is Lo Ami, which means not my people. And this, wow, this is kind of, um, I would hate to have God say this to me. He says, because you are not my people and I will not be your God. Wow. If you have worn God down to the point where he says, OK, fine, fine. You're not my people and I'm not your God. Have at it. Um, that's not a place you want to be. That's the name of the children. I've never had God come up and tell, tell me to name my kids like that. So that's uh, that's interesting when God says, yeah, name your name your child. These these interesting names that uh, are not flattering at all. So chapter two goes into why he did this. So chapter one is the setup. That's the staging. It's kind of like at the beginning of a movie. You get the you get the 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 uh, the uh, overhead view of the camera you know it's flying through either a city or the country or you know a battlefield or so that you know where the story is taking place right and so that's what chapter one is like where are we what's happening where are the players and chapter two gets into why which is basically in two words stop it (laughs) God god is still saying let's not miss that even though god is saying these terrible things are happening. He's still reaching out because really, truly, when you're totally, totally, totally done with somebody, it's like, see ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And it's, that's the end of the conversation. It's done. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in today's world, this would be God still calling them, still texting them, still saying, hey, you know, can we can we work this out? Turn around. And this is much of the rest of the book of Hosea is God still appealing to the people. Now, sometimes it's to Israel, to Israel, but not much because they're, they're kind of gone uh, by their own choice. And then there's Judah, which is headed that direction. And I think this is a, this isn't, this is a relevant lesson for us today. It isn't that God shut these people off. God is honoring the choice these people made. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. God did not arbitrarily said, that's it. Okay, I'm done. No more mercy. You're not my people. God didn't do that. The people made that choice. And then God said, if you, well, if that's really what you want, and you've said it over and over and over again, I will let you have your way, even though it will turn out badly for you, I will honor your choice. Mm-hmm. So when I, so I, I think of a couple of different things as, I, as I'm reading through this and free will is the basis of Christianity. It is the basis of the gospel. And and yet there's this, do you remember in the commandments where it says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God? Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's a jealous lover trying to get our attention. So there's a chapter in... Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, that goes kind of along the same lines of Hosea. So this is, it's specifically to Jerusalem, but if you want a little extra reading, this is really set out and well-defined. So the whole chapter describes Jerusalem as an adulterous wife. Okay, so right where we're at in Hosea. And like, if you read chapter two, it talks about she she says I will go after my lovers who give me my food and water my wool my linen my olive oil and my drink okay she will do this she will do that she you know I will take away my grain when it ripens take away my wine when it is ready I will take back my wool and my linen that I intended to cover her with right so it's God talking about what he's going to do and she's acting like it's hers and it's in, and she's entitled to it and she's just going to go give it to whoever so I think that Ezekiel 16 is a really good description where God says, like, I found you when you were a squalling newborn, utterly helpless and unprotected. And I sheltered you and I gave you a place to grow up. And when you hit puberty, I covered you. 
and I gave you gold and I gave you embroidered clothing and fine sandals and good quality cloth and costly garments. I put jewelry, bracelets, necklaces, put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, put a crown on your head. I gave you food, honey, fine flour, and you became my queen. And then you got distracted by everything that I gave you. And you alternated between worshiping the things that I gave you and giving them away to other people. Like I gave you all of these things and you turned around as if you owned them and handed them out yourself, the goods that I gave you, you built shrines and you worshiped the food that I provided you. It's an utter distraction. So all of the blessings, right? That's all symbolic, right? So all of the blessings that God bestowed on his precious people that he had chosen to make them the city on a hill for the world to look to. Instead, they got distracted by the things that he gave them. They considered them theirs and they squandered them. Yeah, and you can think of... um when when one of your kids doesn't they don't show the res- maybe respect's not the word they don't show the appreciation for something that you've given them and they turn around and give it away you know and a kid that did that for years makes me crazy <laughs> and there's a part of you as a parent that wants to go okay yeah that's yours you can do what you want with it but there's there's still that inside you're like I got that specifically for you. I got that because I want because I wanted you to have it. I wanted yeah. Yeah, that. That was that was meant for you, and you're just you're just giving it away. And and, and um, yeah, that's hard. To, that's hard. That's hard to see that happen when when you've taken the time and effort to 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 give somebody something that was meant for them and just watch them. Uh, give that away or sell it my son was famous for that he would have (laughs) moments of intense generosity where he would just hand out like the things that i had gotten for him but he would also be like wow i'm i'm kind of broke like i want some extra money i'm I'm just gonna sell this thing and i was Mm. just like i i I just got you that three months ago what are you doing yeah Yeah, and it's it's a it's a slight it feels to the person who did the gifting yes it's theirs and free will mm-hmm. is the crooks of it. So how mad do you get? However, that is not encourage you to keep giving more gifts because right. they're not being appreciated and right. they're not even being owned. It's just like, yeah, extra resources for me, all me. Yeah. And it, you know, it comes to a point here in chapter two where the chapter kind of, uh, it basically starts out with God saying, she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Now, culturally speaking, this was a this was a statement of divorce back then. If you if you wanted to divorce your wife, you basically just had to go out in public and say she's not my wife anymore. That's it. And uh, that's that's kind of what's happening here, where God is like, okay, I mean, like like we've all been saying here, uh, if that's the way you want to go, that's really the way you want to go. I'll let you, and and we're going to sever we're going to sever this relationship, and that. That phrase is important because it comes back here a little bit later, kind of in the opposite. But yeah, it, it's uh, I don't know. It's just it's when you put it into this concept of a of a marriage and one person just being not just unfaithful, but um, showing no consideration at all for the other person. It, it's. uh it's just sort of hard to see. And as we've been reading down through these histories and seeing all the things that God has done for this nation and seeing them being just so flippant and careless with the, with the relationship and kind of like you said, Eric, I think it was you, Eric, alternately worshiping the things I've given you and just giving them away and uh, that would be karen but uh, yeah i agree okay sorry and, karen <laughs> well i didn't make that up it's from ezekiel <laughs> and, and yeah. even worse even worse they don't even attribute and there's a lot of re- repetition of this they don't even attribute the blessings they got from god as being from god uh-huh. yeah in verses 5 8 and 12 mm-hmm. israel is saying oh no this is this is from these other people 
And God has to say, no, I'm the one who gave you those blessings. I'm the one who got you that stuff. And they are, and here's the deal. I think this is important for us today too, is this isn't a one-time errant thing. This isn't a, a, uh, a mistake. To put it in this, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about, uh, the, the picture is, is that the people, we're talking about the, the all 12 tribes, Judah, Northern Kingdom, all that stuff, is, is in a relationship with God. That's really important. The foundation of this whole thing is relationship. It's not just do they do the services, because later on we'll see God says, no, that's not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for relationship. And we have this relationship thing. And imagine, you know, in our world, you have a relationship with um, with somebody. Um, and it's let's suppose it's a romantic relationship with them. And you're with that person and somebody else walks by and they glance at them. There's a very famous meme that's going around hmm. these days of that. Like, ooh, wow, what's that about? Okay. <laughs> Glancing at this other distraction. But then getting back focused and moving on. This isn't that. This isn't that. This is a persistent uh, pattern of full-on abandonment um, of the relationship. And it's not a one-time departure or a two-time departure. This is a full, um, this is is what Israel, uh, apostate Israel wants. And this is important for us today. Because if we feel that we've sinned against God, if we've done something against God, Satan comes in and says, no, you can't go back. He won't take you back. He doesn't want you. You you messed up. And this is God persistently pursuing them in the face of their persistent rejection of him. I think one of the other themes of the book of Hosea is that is God as the pursuer. In chapter 2, verse 14, even after all Israel's done all these horrible things, Israel and uh, Judah, all kinds of things, you know, burning offerings to them, uh, adorned herself with uh, ring and jewelry and went after other lovers and forgot me. Mm -hmm. And then what follows in, in verse 14 is amazing, speaks to God's character. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer me as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is God saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you've been bad. I know you've done stupid things. I know you've rejected me. But I want it to be like in the first days of our relationship when you were really into me. Which sounds a lot like one of the churches in Revelation, if you look at Jesus Um, reaching out to the, hey, in case that doesn't ring a bell for you as a listener, God is saying, hey, come back to your first love. This, these are timeless themes. This isn't just like, ah, just that book of Hosea has nothing to do with us today. It has everything to do with us today. Mm -hmm. It's because who hasn't at some point or another walked away from God, done the wrong thing. It's like, well, you can do the right thing or the wrong thing. And we have chosen the wrong thing. And God still wants us back. I mean, if God is saying this, therefore, I will allure her to the people of Judah and Israel after the horrible thing. Just remember, King Ahaz, we don't know exactly when this, um, when this passage was written, this verse 14, but King Ahaz has burned his son to a, to a, to a false god, killing his son, basically human sacrifice. That's how far they've gone, just for one example. And God is still saying, hey, I want you back. So that's how much God is pursuing us, how much he he wants us. And I think that that is, that's core of this. And, you know, that God wants this relationship with us. And he wants it to be, well, in verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. That's what he wants. He wants that relationship. This reminds me of two of my very favorite passages in the Bible. I have so many favorite passages in the Bible, I don't even know where to start. But this reminds me of two of them, and they are both calls 
to acknowledge God's character, right? So the first one is in Psalm 103. So there's verse 8, and then there's 10 through 14, and it goes like this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Right? So that's a perspective thing. Like he understands where we're at. That doesn't mean that he doesn't continue to call to our free will and to try to woo us and bring us back. But he understands. He knows who we are. He knows what we're supposed to be. We don't. All we know is our state, current state of existence. We might have some kind of a general sense that we're a fallen creature, but we don't know what we're supposed to be. We have no, we have no actual viewpoint on our, on our standard of perfection. He understands where we're at. He knows our frame. He knows we are dust, right? And then in Lamentations 3, this one's famous, uh, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? So in our human relationships, if we were to see a guy or, or a girl, whatever, married to somebody who acted like Hosea's wife, like poor Gomer. She gets such a bad rap through the, through the way she's set up as an illustration through all these years. And if we were to see a human in that relationship, we would shake our heads and think that they were stupid. And I love the heart of this book because it is a continual call to see God's heart for what it is. His heart is foolish with love, right? His heart continues to pursue us long after a human would have given up. Like we're distracted and we take his gifts and squander them and we take his gifts and think that they are ours and they, we forget where we got them. We try to hand them out to other people. We worship the gifts instead of the giver, right? All of those things, that whole description in Ezekiel 16, that whole thing, like we embody that. As, as um, what did I hear in a discussion class a while back? I think you were there, Matt, mm. where uh, we were talking about idolatry. And, and I think it was my mom says, um, yeah, they have like, they have idol dealerships. There's plenty of idolatry around. They have whole dealerships where you can go. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like we're so easily. You can finance it. <laughs> right. You can finance five, five years of easy payments. So it's only 60, it's only 60 payments. Um, you know, we're so easily distracted. And we forget where the good things come from and we focus on the good things. And, and the, you know, basically the functional definition of worship is where do you put all your time, energy and focus? And if that's not God, there's a problem. Yeah. Like the relationship will suffer if it's on the things that come from the relationship or the, the good, the gifts instead of the, it becomes like a mercy. Have you ever known a gold digger? Like somebody who basically dated or married for money? It's like, well, what's in this for me? What did you bring me this week? You know, it's like, a, it's like, you think that's not some kind of prostitution? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a complete, it's a complete swing and a miss. Like mm -hmm. the heart of the relationship is over here and I'm over here with my hand out looking for goodies. Like, yeah. yeah. Did you bring me, did you bring me something? No? Oh, well, I'm upset with you because that's really all I'm here for. It's like, no, get back to the heart of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the heart of the thing, uh, verse 16, there was a, there was something in there that, that really stuck out to me in chapter two here where he says, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Um, it, it's like maybe part of the problem here is that the people have only been viewing God as this guy who deals out uh, rules and punishments. And instead, what he's saying is that you, eventually you'll, you'll, you'll get to know me better because it does say, I'm going to betroth you to me forever. But, is you know, you'll get to know me better and then you'll call me your husband. So it's seeing the relationship shift 
that eventually, eventually this will shift into something where, uh, where you will understand there's different motivations behind this and, uh, and that it's not, you know, about arbitrary rules and, and just going through the motions of these things to make me happy, but where this is a relationship, it's an actual loving relationship. And uh, a little later in the chapter where he goes, I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. So that goes back to, it was at the beginning of um, chapter two, I think. So we're towards the end of chapter two, where it's gone from, you're not my people, to where now he's back to saying, you are my people. You know, they were going to have to, they were going to have to be allowed to step away and understand that relationship. Okay, Hosea 3, chapter 3, we're talking about now an adulterous woman. Are we talking about the same woman? Is this a continuation of the story? Is this a second wife for Hosea? How did you, what what did you guys read in that? Because he says, love an adulterous woman just like God loved Israel, even though they looked to other gods. So what are we talking about there? Well, it says go again. So it's the same woman. So it's a, it's a, it's another woman. So there was interest. No, there was it's, an the same, it's the same woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so this, I'm is, this is all the same wife. That's part of the illustration. Yep. I'll yeah. We're it. not playing musical wives here. Come on. Well, that's why I, well, I was just, Hey, that's why I was asking a question because to me, it, to me, when I'm reading it in the new King James, it's almost sound to me like, like, um, like another, like another one. But at the same time, it sounded like the same the same story being kind of told again. So I'm with I, you, Matt. I, I wasn't, it wasn't super obvious to me. The English standard version says, go again, love a woman who was loved by another man. So I read that as go do the same thing you did. The woman may or may not be the same woman. Uh, I traditionally it's the same woman. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'll say that, but we don't want to get caught up in that. Cause that's not the point. Yeah. Right. That would be kind of like saying, in verse one, three verse one is be like, you know, oh, the children of Israel are doing all these bad things and they love cakes of raisins. Oh, well, let's not have raisins anymore then. <laughs> and people go there in in uh, chapter two, verse 13. It's like, oh, rings and jewelry. Oh, let's go after that. No, it's not about the raisins. It's not about the rings. Is It's about their hearts. And they're so far away. At this point, she's moved away. And not only has she, whoever this person is, let's say it's Gomer, I think that's a reasonable thing, that she's moved away, moved in basically with her pimp. Okay, I mean, this is just, that's what it is. Because Hosea has to buy her. Mm-hmm. This isn't a matter, she is now a business transaction. This isn't just a, oh, well, she went on. He has to buy her, and I want to point out, that this is lower than traditionally the price of a slave. That's where her value is here. But he goes and buys her back. Mm. Did anybody notice there was one there was one part of verse one in chapter three that was odd to me. So I've got this parallel version. So I read it in all four versions and it kind of says the same thing. She is loved by another man. I this is one of those instances where I wish I could go read the original language and know what it meant because I I don't know that there's love involved here and that that choice of words surprises me. So like in the New King James it says, you know, love a woman who is loved by a lover. Okay, lover we get, that can go that can be either the base version of that or the higher, you know, sort of more feelings based version of that. But I don't know. That's very odd. The NIV, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Like, loved. What a strange choice of words. It makes me want to go, like, dig out a concordance and, like, scrounge around and find out what the original word was. You know what I mean? Oh, hey. <laughs> keep keep talking. I'm looking. In front of this camera. <laughs> anyway, that was one thing that kind of stood out to me is, like, what a strange word to put there. Well, however it works out, he was able to buy her for 15 shekels and some barley (laughs) right and so it's kind of like hey you know what i got 20 bucks and a sandwich and her lover's like okay yeah you can have her back oh gross oh yuck well i mean that 
you said that's what's going on here. Oh, you're right. It's just so yeah. horrible. It is. It is. It is. It is. And that's the point that Hosea is trying to make. He's saying, this is you. This is you, Judah. This is you, Israel. But the point of this is, is it's how much God pursues. It is God pursuing those that don't have virtue in themselves. That was the Old Testament. The, we talk a lot about the, the Old Testament God, right? And usually we think of thunder and lightning and pestilences. And No, let's just stop for a minute. This is the Old Testament God. He is redeeming people who have really no redeeming qualities in themselves. It's the Old Testament God. And so the book of Hosea is, it's the story of how God loves us that's us today too and the the virtue the good is in god it's not in us so the word there is ahab and it says it's a primary root meaning to have affection for sexually or otherwise so uh i guess open to interpretation how you want to see that but it seems like specifically they're talking more about sexual affection interesting okay i was just curious yeah. Oh, I was too. That's why I got out my giant green book. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big deal. Again, we'll say it again, is that it's difficult, if not impossible, to understand the New Testament God without seeing the Old Testament God, who is a God of mercy, and this is grace, because they haven't done anything to earn this redemption. Let's be super clear about that. I mean, if they earned anything, it wasn't redemption. Mm -hmm. And this idea of being bought back, about infidelity, about this is straight, this, this telegraphs straight to the book of Revelation. And if you get into the book of Revelation and you see these same themes and these same words and the same stuff showing up, but we don't understand the pursuing God of the book of Hosea, it's a puzzler later on, a bigger puzzler than it already is. Because mm -hmm. it ends with in the latter days. I mean, it's, yeah. and we, as we've talked about before, as we're reading prophecy here, is this prophecy in the moment to the people of Judah only, Judah and Israel? Is it Judah and Israel in their immediate literal future? Is it in their metaphorical future? Is it in their long distance future? Does this telegraph out to us in our future, in our present? Yes, mm -hmm. probably to all. And so when it goes to uh, like 219, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Well, when is that supposed to happen? And I think the answer is yes. You know, at, at every opportunity we get. But I think it's like what we said, though. They've, they've repeated this numerous times. They've seen the power of the Lord, but yet they fall away. And like we were saying, just so they're so fickle and they have such a short memory that they continue to follow into this. But once again, like we're so like it's showing here, God is willing to forgive them if they put all that stuff away and just seek him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that really speaks to the misunderstanding that people have developed of God over time where people are just like you know what god and i we just don't see eye to eye you know he just he, he just doesn't get me or so you know that kind of thing and like no it's uh other way around there bud but um because he's he's constantly trying to bring you back constantly constantly and then when we get into chapter four we we see why this has all happened had been happening and we've been seeing this through the course of the podcast of why this keeps why this continual spiral down the drain is happening. We're God, he says, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. There's just nothing there to be found. Nobody gets it. Nobody is doing, nobody, nobody's doing what I told them to do. Nobody's listening. Nobody's paying any attention. I think it could go back to the very beginning, even before Saul and what Samuel had to go through it with them saying, you know what? We just want to be like the other people around us. Yeah. And that continues to be the problem. Yeah. You know, we look out and, 
you know, oh, hey, that looks cool and shiny. Let's go check that out. And and it just pulls you away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So first four, I mean, chapter four, verse six is a fairly famous one here. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. We, we have to realize that when it says are destroyed for lack of knowledge, it isn't because they didn't know. I mean, come on. We have had we have had prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet show up and tell them they just don't want to hear it. Is yeah. what it comes down to. And in the verse itself, it says you rejected knowledge. The reason you don't have knowledge is because you rejected it. Well, and I can see parallels with that kind of thing today too. We just we, we're watching our society spiral, and and you want to say, well, it's because people aren't following God. And they're like, oh, you Christians, you've got everything so backwards. You know, you you. You're just you're you're hateful bigots. And like, well, um, well, no, I'm just kind of following the instructions that were given to me, and and the the you know under, understanding that God had a way that He intended things to work, and you are insisting on not not functioning within those parameters, and and now you wonder why why things are uh, why things are rough. Um, yeah, to, to your point though, is that there are some fair accusations that Christians you know aren't. Oh. Absolutely. Doing this that because, and we shouldn't miss this in the book of Hosea, that these people who are circling the drain are simultaneously claiming that they're God's chosen people. Like, no, we're God's chosen people. We're doing the right thing. And right. God says, you're saying you're doing the right thing, but you're not actually doing it. And mm-hmm. so there is this constant problem of, saying it but not doing it and you know taking the name but not doing the things and god's been man we see this through the old testament we see it jesus argued with people about this he said look you're saying this but you're not doing the kinds of things that are god and he says if you actually did the things that were god you'd accept me so the idea that just because we would call ourselves christians doesn't mean that we're doing what he actually asked us to do. And Hosea is dealing with this. Jesus does in Matthew chapter 7. Um, and Hosea has to deal with this too. He, he's saying, look, you're you're saying that you're God's people, but in, in 4.12, my people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. A little bit of uh, humor there. He's like, yeah, you're just taking a hike, and then you're like, I don't know, what should I do? And then you're basically praying to your walking staff, um, (laughs) asking your walking staff to give you divination. And God is constantly, this is a theme all the time, turn to me. No, I'm the one you turn to for information. I'm the one you turn to for hope. I'm the one you turn to. And they're turning to everywhere except to God. Yeah, we can't uh, we can't be looking to each other for <laughs> advice on this kind of thing very often, unless that advice is listen to God, you know, right. listen to what He's saying, listen right. to what His Word is saying, actively pursue the knowledge that God is giving out there, and uh, don't just assume it comes natural to you. I think that there is an aspect of human nature that we we haven't talked about here yet. And that is that humans need a visible leader. We need, or we think we need, we crave, let's put it that way, we crave visible guidance. So, you know, children of Israel come out of, well, let's take it back even further, Garden of Eden, Eve is confronted by one of the most magnificent creations who talks to her and leads her astray in like 10 seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. So Israel, Israelites, uh, and then and then Adam comes along and follows in her footsteps. And when God says, what, what have you done? He says, well, I followed her. And she says, oh, well, I followed the serpent, right? How easily, and that was in a perfect world with perfect minds and perfect health and day-to-day contact with God, you know? Like, how terrible is that? Now, in our fallen state, that's a little easier to understand because we're floundering around lost like a bunch of sheep. <laughs> like, the, the Israelites, they come, out of, they come out of Egypt, right? They've lost touch with their, with their religious 
you know, through slavery and and hundreds of years in in a different society. They've lost touch with their God and how to worship and everything like that. So once they are clear of Egypt, they stop. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And once their visible leader is out of sight, even though his siblings are still there, once the visible leader is out of sight, they instantly, like, and again, it takes like 10 seconds. They're instantly distracted and they're like, yeah, we need something to worship. We need something to worship. We need something to worship. And that is like the cry of humanity. Give me some, I need something to worship. I need something to worship. Like we want to be subservient to something. We want to put all our time and energy. We want to serve something. It's like, well, great. What are you, what are you serving? And I, I think that, Tracy, I don't know if you've heard about this since you work in the medical field, but there's this kind of interesting thing out there. I, I, I read about it like every year or so. Somebody will put out a new thing about it. They call it the God gene. Have you heard of that, Tracy? I I have, but I haven't really, not for a while. Yeah, and th- like my rough understanding of it, and I'm not not a scientist. Like I know how to read research papers, and I know how to like glean the information out of it and whatever. But I I don't understand DNA mechanisms and whatever. But the basic gist of it is that somewhere in us is a gene that that because of that gene's existence in our makeup, we want to worship something. Well, if you believe in God, this makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um. It's just a matter of what do we worship? And so here we are, you know, we've got an enemy. His goals are to deceive, distract, and destroy. Any means necessary to destroy us. And he is down here feeding us tangible distraction after tangible distraction after tangible distraction. And we're following it. We're letting go of the invisible God that we have to walk by faith to follow and we are instead following, you know, so it, as a rough paraphrase, worshiping smaller created things that have no business being at the top of our priorities. See, but I think that was, that's always been their trouble. I think that's just like you're saying, it's, it's historically been everyone's trouble is that they need, there's the leaders and there's, then, you know, I hate to say this, but then there's the sheep, you know, and I, I look at it as, they weren't satisfied with a pillar of fire, a cloud directing their path. They would so quickly forget that, that they were so quick to sound off. We need a king like everyone else has. See, just like that. It's been their problem. You know, God can continuously bless them. You know, they have the sacred, um, the, um, dedication of, the temple, fire comes down. We just read um, Elijah, fire comes down to take them away or bring them back from Baal worship. But it's quickly gone. The minute the smoke clears, the altar, you know, the altar's gone and burned. They've already forgotten again. You know, and I think he's just, they go through and they reiterate exactly this all through four. It's like, yeah, just let me count the ways. Israel is playing the harlot. Israel is stubborn. Ephraim, now you're now you're um, worshiping idols. It's he just goes down and counts the ways. It's like, but you know what? It goes back to almost exactly what Eric was saying. But I will take you back. We can make this right. Just follow me. Put your faith in me, not a walking stick. Me. You know, there's something that. You know, we're talking about the sheep, and it's interesting to me. It seems to me so often these days, the people that are saying, don't be a sheep, to me, they're the ones a lot of times are acting the most like sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we English teachers call that irony. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we get to uh, chapter five, and... We're basically we're just we're just seeing it's just this this constant warning, constant warning, constant warning. Because we we go through chapter four, we're told Judah, make sure you don't follow the steps of Israel. Your deeds aren't uh, being directed towards turning to God. You don't know the Lord. Israel and Ephraim are stumbling. Judah is stumbling with them. So interesting. Ephraim, 
I don't know if that was the largest tribe of Israel or what, because the two terms kind of seem to be interchangeable here, but they're they're broken in judgment because they willingly walked by human precept. And that made me thinking, I think of everyone did what was right in his own eyes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No. You know, they're trying they're trying all the things in chapter five, verse six uh, with their flocks and herds. They shall go to seek the Lord. Basically, they're like, hey, we'll just do sacrifices. This is that'll work. And it goes on, though, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them because they're just doing the forms of religion. They're going through the patterns, but their heart's not in it. Their behavior's not in it. It's kind of like, well, we'll go to church and do this. But when we go home and then Hosea talks about all the scheming and horrible things that they do. And he basically he gets he in verse 11, uh, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after human precepts or filth. Like this isn't just a whoops, I made a mistake. This is they're determined to do this. Mm-hmm. And it sums up in 15, you know, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and see my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. He's asking for a repentance that involves admission of guilt and fully turning to him. And so far they're just not doing it. No. Right. Right. And, and that's where we get into chapter six too, where set six is talking about, it says, uh, how to put it, let us return to the Lord. And I guess this is Hosea talking, but return to God. And this kind of, I have this written down. He has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. So yes, God at times will step out. And I mean, we use the word punish. Uh, it seems like a lot of times really what it is, is he'll step back and, and let things take their course, but he's always right there, ready and willing to take, take you back, to heal you up, to fix you up, to get you set right back on the right path. Yeah. The, um, the the attitude of Israel is is sin based, which is selfishness based, right? And it reminded me of um, what, exactly what Eric was talking about earlier in Revelation. So in chapter seven, verse ten, it says Israel's arrogance testifies against him. But despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Like, not only is he arrogant, but he's happy in his arrogance. Like, he's not even looking for anything different. And now, so so if you combine everything that we've, that we've talked about so far today, tell me if this rings a bell. This is out of Revelation 3. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Like, all of the things that God gave us, that were above and beyond what we ever could have provided for ourselves. We we're just like, yeah, this is all mine. Uh-uh, not without God. Without God, you don't have any of that. Right. That's not yours. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's that was a part of the point being made about the uh, the the unfaithful wife there. Yes. Just, all this stuff that I gave you, you you don't you're not even stopping to think about where it came from. You, it's uh, you you've either forgotten or you just willingly don't care. I don't know. But, um, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So here's a pretty cool, um, again, this almost sounds like a re- repeat in uh, Hosea 6. 6. Um, yes. God is basically in 5. He said, look, I've sent you the prophets. I've cut you with hewn you by the prophets. I've slain you by the words of my mouth. My judgment has gone forth as light. All these things he says, I'm trying to do this to get your attention. In verse 6, for I desire steadfast love and not yeah. sacrifice, the knowledge yeah. of God rather than burnt offerings, which mm. sounds just a, a lot like uh, Micah. Micah, which yeah. <laughs> Micah 6.6, 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, a thousand rams, blah, 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 at 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. 
he's like, what do you do when you're walking with someone? Is it's in this context, it's relationship. God says in Hosea 6, 6, for I desire steadfast love. Alternately, you can say mercy and not sacrifice. He's saying, look, I want your heart to be leading you to things, not just outward you know, symbols of your, oh, yeah, 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 I follow you. Sure, I'll give you a sacrifice, but then I'm going to go back and do the wrong thing. Um, he's saying, no, I want the knowledge of God, relationship, rather than burnt offerings. Yeah, it's not it's not just these, these rote actions to go through to appease an angry God or to try to get his favor. You know, we, we're not uh, making sacrifices to make sure that the crops come through. We're not... Uh, we're not uh, placing an offering in, in in the offering box at church to, uh, just to to get God to like us. You know, it's uh, he's want he's wanting to see actions motivated by love and by commitment and through compassion and um, seeing an overall difference in in our character and not just. Uh, not just trying to do stuff to gain favor, but doing stuff because it's it's what's right. It's because it's what is helpful and it's what's good. And, um, yeah, I so would, it's, I would disagree with you. Okay, I would say doing the right thing because we love God. Well, yes. Like you're talking about the result. The result is that it's good, is in that it's the right thing to do. Yes, but it's only the right thing to do if it's done out of sincerity. The root of the whole thing is love. Yes. Yeah. No. You're you're absolutely right. Absolutely right in that. Yeah. So seven talks about uh, how God would have healed Israel. Says, but their iniquity was covered. He would have loved to have brought Israel right back into the fold. He would have absolutely loved to have kept them prominent in the area. But they uh, all their all their all their badness. <laughs> all of their everything everything was out there on display. It was all out there. And um as we've read here several times today, they just didn't care. It's just it's just um it's just out there. And so it's hard it's hard is it hard or is it impossible to forgive someone who doesn't want forgiveness, who doesn't think they need forgiveness? Where forgiveness isn't even maybe even on their mind. Well, you can you can forgive them, but that doesn't do anything to restore a relationship until yeah. they turn around. Right. 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 There. So it's yeah, exactly. So it's it's about it's about the relationship. And you say, yep. okay, yeah, I can say that what you did isn't going to bother me anymore. But until you have decided that you want to restore the relationship with me, um, really nothing comes of it. Yep, in 14, 714, um, they, they calls it out again. They do not cry to me from the heart. They'll, they'll wail on their beds and, you know, for grain, they'll gash themselves, but they rebel against me. Over and over, I train them and strengthen their arms, yet they just devise evil against me. Verse 16, they turn or return, but not upward. In other words, they'll, they'll look for help, but not to me. They they go everywhere except to God, and this has been a theme from all the kings. All these instead of turning to God is their salvation. Like, well, maybe maybe Egypt can solve this problem for us. Mm -hmm. Oh, we've got this Assyrian problem. Well, let's have Syria solve the problem for us. Oh, we've got this problem with with uh, Ethiopia. Well, let's turn to the Pharaoh and see if he can solve. It. And God's like, no, 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 no. Turn to me. No, you silly dove. <laughs> it's exactly. He actually uses that language here. He he just he's like you. Oh, if you would turn right here, verse ten, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek Him, even after all this. Yep, and that is where that's where this all comes from. This is where, the, and we're seeing where this is all leading now, because you know we've <laughs> we've read to the end. At least, and and we we know we know what happens. We know that Israel will just it's just going to cease to exist. That was uh, what is it? Essentially, ten tribes. They'll be they'll be scattered to the wind, and they'll they'll they will be gone. Uh, now Judah Judah will make it through. 
Some of them. A remnant. Some of them. Yep, the remnant. Exactly. But, but they uh, do. Ed, they're specifically called out that, that some of Judah will come back and there will be a remnant and they will be restored, which paints a little bit of a, you know, fast forward to Jesus time. Why the, the Jews, which we use that word generically, but that was really kind of uh, the people of Judah and Benjamin looked down so much on the Samaritans because one, largely they were not ethnic Jews at all. Right. And some who were were part of this kingdom that was essentially just stomped to dust and never had any kind of national recognition or reorganization again ever. But in the beginning of seven, too, it it mentions that. And I was wondering, too, and I don't know, did he when when writing this, did he point out that, you know, listen, there's no difference at this point. You're you're all wicked. Mm hmm. You're, you know, because there was always that age-old conflict with the Sumerians, but you're on the same level at this point. Yeah. Well, right, and that's why he's saying, Judah, you, you, you don't follow Israel. Right. Don't, don't go down this path. You, you guys have like barely been squeaking by, so to speak. You know, you've been, you've been sort of, it seems, trying to, trying to. Uh, Stay with me here, but you guys are in a dangerous spot too. So don't, don't go the way that Israel went. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a warning for them. And apparently they must have tried to listen to at least some because they they will make it through. At least, like you said, some of them. Well, I think that will about wrap up our discussion today. Next week, we will finish up the book of Hosea, chapters 8 through 14. And um, we'll see what else what else is coming, coming from Hosea. While you are waiting for that, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. And make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors so that they can... Uh, gain something from it as well. We look forward to talking to you again next time. Thanks for listening.